0: You're listening to America's web radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Good morning, listeners. And welcome to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. On this program, we discuss many types of relationships, some of which are relationships we've given little thought to, like our lenders, our bosses, and even ourselves. I'm sitting here in Northern California. It's going to be another scorching day having a cup of coffee, and I hope you join us because today we have a very special guest whose path. So her current endeavors is one you would never have guessed. She's a graduate of New Hampshire's Dartmouth College and was in the second class that allowed men at the formerly all-male school. yoo Allowed women. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, allowed women. Oh, my goodness. Um, she majored in math, and guess what gender dominated that major? You're right, Men. Then she became an actuary, managing pension funds for the Employees Retirement System of Texas, the University of California system, and Safeway. What a huge job. I'm going to ask her exactly what an actuary does because, although I'm fairly intelligent, I'm not exactly sure about what having a career as an actuary looks like. But we'll all find out. I guess that men dominate... actuarial profession too along with math then our guest became a frequent speaker at the National Association of State Retirement Administrators and after she retired she enjoyed volunteering with the California Actuarial Advisory Board what accomplishments what successes those indeed are personal and career successes successes have many dimensions Sometimes it's a success to get out of bed in the morning. It was for me. Our guest added to her successes by learning about herself and her interpersonal dynamics. What I mean by this is that our guest and her husband of more than 30 years began attending Al-Anon and ACA, for those of you who don't know, that's adult children of alcoholics. They began attending those meetings because they grew up in alcoholic families. And when you grow up in a family that's controlled by addiction, we tend to develop characteristics that can become problematical for us. I understand that my guest and her husband's willingness to change and learn through attending these groups helped their marriage thrive. Their twin daughters also thrived because they had healthy parents. Today, our guest, Leslie Finnerty, is a member of the Stevens Ministry and is involved with an organization called Kairos International, which is a prison ministry. I cannot wait to hear about these two things. Leslie, it is a privilege to have you here, and I welcome you to the Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio Program. Thank
2: you. I'm delighted to be
1: here. Ah, we are so happy to have you. You've been on such an amazing journey. Let's start at the beginning. What was it like for you to grow up in an alcoholic family? Well overall
2: it was it was really great. I was loved and supported. Um, I was a daddy's girl and I didn't you know I wasn't put into just a female kind of um, position. He took me fishing. He wondered if I wanted to be a, a a pilot of a small airplane so he took me up for lessons he he just um, wanted to share all kinds of things with me, but at the same time, especially as I became a teenager, um, things got worse. He was just full of rage, maybe from World War II, we'll never know, but he viewed the world as full of winners and losers, and he was going to be a winner. He felt good about himself when he put other people down, and, and that was largely my mom as well as my brother. So there was a lot of unhappiness in the family, a lot of not knowing how to deal with problems, um, except by dominating and and yelling, and I was actually the hero child, so when I brought home A's, when I brought home A's or trophies or something good had happened, everyone seemed happy and things seemed calmer for a little while, so I was definitely motivated to excel.
1: Well, for our listeners, the hero child looks like a fabulous, fabulous, successful kid, but I need you to correct me if I don't have this right, but I teach this, so I think I have it right. The hero child is under tons and tremendous pressure to keep um, excelling. So it's not like one success makes you the hero. You have to keep producing and reproducing successes over and over to maintain that hero status. Is that right?
2: Yeah, and you know, seeing my brother, not every day, but you know, yelled at and hit just every so often, but um, it motivated me to just keep on the good side of everybody.
1: Yeah, I bet. So how did you find that this affected you as you grew into adulthood?
2: Well, clearly, you know, I needed to excel at everything. Um, my parents always said, you know, just do your best, but to me that translated into being almost superhuman. And I learned to thrive on adrenaline and even set myself up for challenges so that I could meet those challenges because that's how I felt good about myself. Um, I think I had a lot of shame because it seemed like I couldn't make my parents happy. And, you know, kids put that on themselves. So it seemed like there was something wrong with me. Um, yes. Another thing is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Go ahead. It set up um, me to be with my first husband, who was full of rage, because that seemed normal. And In fact, I was attracted to him because it was the same game, if you will, I played with my parents. My job was to make them happy, and I was really tired of doing that. So when I met someone who felt like it was his job to make me happy, I thought that was great, but of course, that's really not sustainable over a long-term relationship.
1: Exactly. So other than that characteristic, making people happy, making your spouse happy, what other characteristics did you develop in childhood to survive did you have to change?
2: Well, you know, I was so focused on especially how my dad thought about me and felt about me and and whether he was angry that day or things were calmer that I really didn't, develop the ability to know what I was thinking or feeling. I'm just really cut off from more and more of my feelings. Um, And we need our feelings to guide us on, you know, to go through life and to grow and develop and to have joy. If we're cut off from our scared or angry feelings, we don't feel the good stuff either. Um, I also, you know, clearly learned not to trust my parents. And so I became dependent more and more on myself and self-reliant and not trusting other people in the world. So, you know, what I knew was conditional love um, and performing to get love. So I was pretty shut down.
1: Yeah. Like I can imagine. And how did changing those characteristics, which I know you've worked on, change you? Um, well, I, as I learned...
2: About myself, um, I kind of developed a relationship with myself. You know, we need to spend time in a relationship, like a friendship, to get to know and care about someone. And it was like developing a friendship with myself. Uh, it, you know, I got in touch with that scared little girl and tried to be good to her. Um, just an example. In, in my second marriage, we needed fertility treatment, and you know that's not fun to go through, but. And my, my little girl didn't like it. Um, so I ended up bringing a teddy
1: bear with me. Aw. I think that's great self-care. Good for you. Yeah. And now I want to switch gears here. Tell us about, because I think we're probably all curious about this, tell us about what an actuary does and how you decided to become one.
2: Well, I always wanted to be like my dad in the six. Sense of successful and power and, and you know the good aspects I saw, and he was a businessman, so I wanted to be a businessman. <laughs> there weren't a lot of women uh, role models then, and um, I loved math. And I found out about actuaries through a actually a math contest that was held at an insurance company, and it was like I could do that. And there's a bunch of actuarial exams you take, professional exams once you're uh, in the profession, so you can kind of be in charge of your own progress, which attracted me. Um, the other thing is that actuaries can stay extremely technical or more go people-oriented, which I ended up doing. Um, so the, the general concept is you combine mortgage math. In other words, a dollar today is worth more than a dollar in the future. And you combine that with probability. So kind of the stereotype is actuaries set life insurance premiums. How much does the insurance company need to collect today? invest it, you know, pay different expenses, and so then it has enough money to pay out the death benefits at the end and and still make a bit of a profit. But mine was the opposite. I was working on pensions. How much do you need to put into the pension funds so that there's enough to pay that pension promise throughout someone's lifetime?
1: Well, I'm in awe of you because I squeaked through Algebra two. And to me, a cosine was two people having temper tantrums together. I guess that was a cotangent. But two people having a temper tantrum at the same time was a cotangent <laughs> to me. <laughs> so, um, and the, the other thing I'm curious about is you managed pension funds. Any advice? <laughs> Any advice for us and our listeners? Absolutely.
2: Um, start saving early. I set up, actually, Roth IRAs for my teenagers when they were still in high school. I, I just put enough money in, and then they got to see how that money grows with compound interest. It, it just builds on itself, and then that motivated them to start saving as well. So we need to expect to live to, you know, 95 years old nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. So start saving early. If you can, delay taking your Social Security payments if, you know, you're pretty healthy. And, um, you know, diversify your assets. Don't be afraid to put some in stocks as well as bonds. So those are the basics.
1: There you have it, listeners, from an expert. <laughs> um, I You also attribute Al-Anon and Adult Children of Alcoholics ACA with impacting your marriage in a positive way. Would you explain to us what Al-Anon is? Sure. Al-Anon is a, a 12-step program.
2: It's um, connected to Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's a, it's a spiritual program where people meet weekly. They only use first names. They share their journey of their relationship with the alcoholic and their challenges and frustrations. And they learn how to, how to deal with it, how to stay in that relationship if that's what they choose to do, and bring their healthy to it so that um, so that they can continue on and, and not have the relationship damage themselves and maybe make a positive uh, impact on the alcoholic. as they change themselves, it may challenge the alcoholic to look at things and start changing.
1: So instead of being a codependent, you turn into uh, someone who's much less dependent. Is that true? Right. To separate yourself
2: from you know, the person that's the alcoholic so that it's not all your fault. Um, and you can love them, the good parts of them, and, um,
1: yeah. These well, Leslie, we are coming up on a break, and listeners, we will be back with Leslie Finnerty talking about a myriad of things in about two minutes.
3: Okay, Ann, I'm going to take this opportunity to... Uh... Let everybody know about our free offer for any veteran that has started or is about to start a new business. America's Web Radio will give you two weeks of free advertising for your new business. That's any veteran in the United States or wherever you happen to be, veteran of the United States, if you served in uh, one of our armed services. You get, just contact us, send an email to GM at America's Web Radio, and we will be back in touch with you and set you up on an advertising program for two weeks. Absolutely free, no strings attached. Well, there is one string. Tell your buddies about it. That's the only string attached, is that if you'll pass the word on to others, that America's Web Radio heard around the world, and we're one of, if not the largest, producing, underline the word producing, podcast radio stations in the country. So your ad will go all over the world, and we're glad to do it, and we appreciate your service. So all you have to do is just uh, send in general manager at america's web radio we'll be back with dr ann right after this
4: perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction if not you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol
1: Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Anne's Relationship Radio here on the famous and infamous America's Web Radio. So we're here with our wonderful guest today, Leslie Simity, and we're talking about a myriad of things, but we're going to get back to Al-Anon. And, Leslie, welcome back. Um, how exactly did Al-Anon help you?
2: Well, the 12 steps are just so powerful and a a really big help. And the first one is, you know, where I needed to start. It says, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. Um, I actually started attending when my first husband left me and I was so codependent, it almost felt like I couldn't survive. And so I had to admit I needed help, which being such a self-reliant person and not trusting other people... Um, was where I needed to start. And knowing that other people, which were my higher power at first, that group of people, knew more than I did, um, was really an important first step for me.
1: I can just imagine, and for many of us, it's hard to uh, believe that other people know better than we do. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you, what is uh, Adult Children and Alcoholics about, ACA?
2: Right, It's it's a subgroup of Al-Anon, and it's for people who um, grew up with an alcoholic. I think children are uniquely affected. Um, It's a spiritual program. You don't have to believe in God. In fact, I was an atheist when I first joined. Um, But there's a lot of wisdom about we can't control other people. I think that's a big lesson. We can only work on ourselves and, and grow and learn about ourselves. Um, you know, the serenity prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, which includes the world and other people at times. Courage mm-hmm. to change the things I can, which if if I work hard, I can change myself. And the wisdom to know
1: the difference. So. The serenity prayer is rather famous. And for our listeners last night, would you describe how Al-Anon and ACA differ? Well, Al-Anon is is an
2: overall group, but I'd say it's more for people who are adults when they're in a relationship with an alcoholic, and very often it's for people who are in a current relationship with an alcoholic, whereas Al-Anon, we're probably still in relationship, I mean, ACA, we're in relationship with our parents still, but We may not be living with them, and we've had years of not living with them, and yet we're still affected by our childhood.
1: Mm. I get it. Uh, I never had a clear uh, ability to distinguish between the two, so that's very helpful. And I want to ask you, for my own edification, actually, and for our listeners, the patients that I have who've grown up in alcoholic families seem to have similar struggles. Well, I was wondering if you could name the top five challenges that you found that are common among adult children with alcoholics.
2: Well, I mentioned it, but clearly the lack of trusting other people and situations. So I want to control things. I want to plan. I want to organize. Um, I want to make sure what happens is what I want to happen. Another one is is not sharing who I really am with with other people. If you don't really know me and you decide you don't love me or don't love something about me, then it feels safer. But on the other hand, if you try to show your love to me, I discount it because if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah. We also try to solve other... We also try to solve other people's problems and try to fix them and take care of them and really take on too much responsibility for the world. Mm-hmm. And lastly, I think boundaries. You know, I didn't even know what I was feeling. I knew what other people were feeling, but I didn't know what I was feeling, and I didn't know how to take care of
1: myself. Those, so, I hope our listeners really pay attention to that, because there's a really common trait for those of us who have grown up in alcoholic families or or drug-using families. So uh, I'm going to change the topic here because there is um, an organization called the Stephen Ministry. And I've heard about this ministry uh, for years, but I want you to explain to our listeners what the Stephen Ministry is and what it does.
2: Sure. It's a a full training program. Um, Christian's... Just lay people, not ministers, receive about 50 hours of training and continuing education, and we walk alongside someone, in other words, meet with them maybe once a week, um, someone who's going through a real tough challenge or transition in life. It could be um, aging or death of a loved one, unemployment, marriage issues, uh, parenting issues, and so we meet with that one person. And we really provide a listening ear um, to help them process what they're going through and, and know they're not alone.
1: That is a tremendous service. And is it free? It is free. Um, there's,
2: there's about half a million Stephen Ministers throughout the world in 13,000 congregations, and it's international. It's in, um, like, 30 countries in in all 50 states in the U.S.
1: What a service, and how can people get help from the Stephen Ministry? Well, they can contact a local church. They don't have to be
2: Christian or, um, you know, we are, but we want to spread God's love. Um, They could also call St. Louis is where it's headquartered and try to find a, a, a church and that's involved and call that church and um, see if a Stephen minister works for them.
1: I see. Now, so if people aren't religious, they can still get support from the ministry?
2: That's correct. Everyone's um, welcome. Obviously, they know that we are Christian, but we learn how to be very respectful. You know, we won't pray with someone who doesn't want to be prayed with or... um, we're not trying to change anyone or their belief system. We're just trying to um, share the love that we've received and be there for someone who's going through a tough time.
1: And you're what is titled a
2: Stephen leader. What's that? Um, I've gotten some additional training, and so I help with a group of people run the church at my uh, run the program at my local church. So we recruit new Stephen Ministers and and help get them trained. We interview people who would like a Stephen Minister to explain the program and make sure that they're a fit and understand how it will work. We keep the continuing education going. And then another really important part of Stephen Ministry is peer supervision. We get together with other Stephen Ministers twice a month and in a very confidential way support each other because we don't talk about uh, who we're caring for with our families or our friends or anyone else. And so if we're having trouble with the relationship as the steven minister, um, someone has a problem we haven't been able to deal with or it's time to close the relationship and we're nervous about how to do that, we can talk to our peers, again, in a confidential way without naming the person or their exact situation, and we can get support from each other.
1: So it's a consultation group. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's such a valuable service. So all you have to do, let's just summarize this, all you have to do is call one of your local churches to see if they have the Stephen ministry at their church. Is that true?
2: Yes. And when you find that church, either just by calling or or calling the St. Louis headquarters, then someone will come out and talk to you one-on-one and explain more about the program.
1: I see. And so if they don't want to pray, that's okay. If they don't believe in God, that's okay. If they're of another faith, that's okay. The Stephen minister is just there for support.
2: Right. You just need to be, you know, 18 years old so that yeah.
1: And so that's my next question for you, 18 years old, so if an adult, if a, let's see, let's make up something, so if a single mother needs help and she has some outrageously behaved teenagers, how do you help that kind of situation?
2: Well, again, we're, we're lay people, we're not experts, so we will meet only with one person. we're We're not educated enough to, you know, involve a spouse or a child, a teenager, but we can help that mother just cope with what she's dealing with. She'll probably need experts in in the situation you described, but we can just be that sounding board and that additional support for her um, with all her challenges because she may not want to be talking to her parents about it or her friends or you know people get tired of hearing the same problems over and over again but we see the ministers just stick with it and
1: and listen and
2: support and encourage
1: we're coming up on a break um leslie and we have to break in listeners. we will be back in a couple minutes with leslie
4: perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction if not So call seven seven zero six nine six nine eight six two and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
3: And one want to, again, invite every veteran... I don't care whether it was from the Civil War, whatever veteran you are, and if you've started a new business within the last 12 months, America's Web Radio, or you're about to start a new business, I should say, America's Web Web Radio is going to give you two free weeks of advertising. All you have to do is email us, gm at America's Web Radio. Let us know what kind of business it is, how we can, well, obviously, once we get an email from you, we'll contact you about uh, getting more information or whatever we do, and then we'll produce the spot, and we'll put it on the air, and you'll get two free weeks of international advertising on the largest, if not one of the largest, producing podcast radio stations in the country your ad will be heard on itunes on or can be available on itunes uh, podcast alley stitchers on and on of all the different podcast apps that pick up america's web radio so you'll be heard your ad will be heard not only in the United States, but around the world. So contact us, GM, at America's Web Radio. And we'll be back to Dr. Ann and her guest right after this.
1: Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Anne's Relationship Radio here on America's Web Radio. And I just want to say that offer for two free weeks of advertising for the businesses that veterans has started is just amazing. So I want to support that offer. I love it. Uh, we're here with Leslie Finerty discussing the Stephen ministry and other things that are coming, but I want to go back to the Stephen ministry just for a second, Wesley. I just want to make sure, is there a time limit thing, like two weeks we'll see you, or is it just individually decided how long you get the services of a Stephen leader
2: or Stephen Minister? Um, the Stephen minister... There's really not a time limit. You know, there's a beginning, middle, and end to each relationship. I've had relationships that have been a couple of months for someone moving to a new area and kind of unsettled to a couple of years for someone with, um, you know, a terminal diagnosis, and um, it just takes time. Sometimes a Stephen well. minister and an individual, you know, just doesn't work out or they've reached, you know, their helpfulness, and so they can get a, a new Stephen minister. But... There's no real limit. It's usually about an hour a week, hopefully visiting in person, because then we can be the most effective.
1: Thank you for your service. That is such a wonderful thing. And as a psychologist, I often wish I could go visit people at their homes, but I can't. So, again, thank you. We're going to move on, though, because there's another topic. I think all our listeners will be entranced by you have a prison ministry, and I think it's called Kairos International. Let's start at the beginning. Does the word Kairos stand for something? Well, it's a Greek
2: word, and it means time. But there's, there's two kinds of um, words for time in, in Greek. Kronos is kind of like chronology that we're used to, and that would be like going to a doctor's appointment. There's a specific time. But Kairos is like in God's time or in the fullness of time, and it'd be like when the baby's ready to come, that's Kairos time.
1: Hmm. Okay. Creative name. What do you do in your prison ministry?
2: Well, it's actually three programs in one. I'm involved in the um, within the prison ministry. There's also a program for juveniles that are, you know, in Juby ju- ju- Center's and there's one for families who are outside of the prison. But so what we do is we go in um, to the prison for three days. We don't sleep there, but we go in otherwise. <laughs> and we share, you know, God's love with people. We listen. There's um, chapel time. There's singing. Um, really, it's, it's a ministry of love and, and forgiveness. And what we want is for when we leave, because we can't stay, um, to have a community generated there so that they can depend on each other and meet weekly to support each other.
1: What a lovely, lovely thing that you do. And I have some patients who come out of the federal prison system, and they have turned over a new leaf in their heart, so to speak. So they begin to have a spiritual way of looking at the world and understanding themselves. So thank you for that service also. I also have heard what goes on in the federal prison system, and I was wondering if you ever feel fear when you go into a prison. Well, we get about
2: 35 hours of training um, with each other, so we form a team. There's about 40 of us that go in. And we've gotten to know each other, and, uh, you know, a lot of people have more experience than I've had. I've just done this um, three different weekends over the last four or five years because there's so much training involved. Um, But, you know, when that door clangs behind you for the first time, it is kind of scary. And when you see all that wire, you know, on the top of the fences, um, it is a little disconcerting. And yet, you know, those women are just like we are. Um, a lot of them are a lot younger than the women who go in. They're a lot in the 20s and 30s, but, but they're folks just like us who, you know, unfortunately may made some bad choices.
1: Yes, and I've heard that there's many women serving time for their love interest, husband, partner, whoever, so that their husband or partner doesn't have to serve time, and the people serving time are actually innocent, they've taken the rap for somebody else. Have you ever run into that? Um, I actually haven't everyone I've talked to
2: is glad they're there in the sense that they get to learn and grow and work on themselves separated from the environment that, you know, help them make those bad decisions. So Okay. Maybe it's the people that apply that, you know, are accepted to the program but um, they're they're glad they're learning and growing.
1: I think that's just wonderful. Well, what types of challenges have you encountered working in the prison system? I can't even imagine.
2: <laughs> well it's a whole new world, and so we learn all kinds of things. You have to wear certain colors. You can't wear you know camouflage colors or denim colors because we don't want to be confused with with either the workers or the uh, residents, which you know the folks that are incarcerated. Um, we can't wear wire in our bras, so we have to find bras that will go through the metal detector. We actually practice things like um, learning to be silent for five minutes, which we, (laughs) women in Northern California, aren't used to doing. I mean, not (laughs) the whisper, you know, just all kinds of of little things, because we are in a different environment, and we call it, you know, we're in the warden's house. It's his house, it's his rules.
1: Wow, and so... Going through all of that to get into the prison, just on an emotional level, what's that like for you?
2: Well, the first time it was definitely scary, um, but we just get so much training. And there's a in, there's a chaplain who, you know, is a, a civilian that, that works there that's our, our support system, and we're really focused on the other people. The Kind of the mantra of the program is listen, listen, love, love. Because these people need to be listened to. Usually they don't hear their first name when they're in prison. We call them by their first name. We listen. Oh. We pay attention. We're focused on them, and they can really feel that.
1: So you put a, the humanity side into the inhumanity, so to speak, of being in a federal prison.
2: Right, federal or or state prison. And, you know, they may have not received a letter that had not been opened and censored by someone. We're allowed to bring in letters, um, and it's sealed. They get a sealed envelope. There's just so many tiny things that blow them away that would be
1: common to us. So are you in touch with their family members in order to get communications, or what kind of sealed envelopes?
2: Well, we we write our own letters, you know, kind of like love letters to them about how they're children of God and they're so loved and um, we care about them. And so uh, we get to bring those in because we have a relationship with with the prison system and they know what, what's in those letters.
1: I see. So share with us some of... How some of your work turned around the women that you see.
2: Well, there was one young woman who was about twenty years old, and um, she t- talked about having uh, a-, a mother that had some kind of mental illness, and so she really raised herself. And I think she got in, you know, trouble, and um, she just didn't feel loved, and she didn't have college-age friends that she communicated with, and actually sent her money so that she could you know, buy things at the commissary. So she did have a little bit of support, but with all of our caring and loving and sharing God's love, she really finally got it that she's a valuable, worthwhile person, which she really hadn't gotten before.
1: I come up with this all the time because I work with many addicts who feel that they were not loved and they did have to raise themselves and by the way, kids can't raise themselves, they have no wisdom from which to draw and so they'll do whatever their peers do or whatever the surrounding is and providing that and providing the listening in the prison system I just can't imagine how invaluable it is, I know it's invaluable to the patients who meet with me so thank you for listening and by the way I think it's hard to listen. We listen with often an agenda about how we want to interject something into what someone's saying as opposed to just listening. It's a learned uh, technique, not even a technique, it's just a learned way of being in the world, the ability to listen. So, Leslie, hats off to you for that, too. (laughs) Well, I've never worked in the prison system. I've worked with many felons, as I mentioned earlier, and some are really bitter. and Others are willing to do anything they can to turn their lives around. And I'm wondering if you also encounter this, and I'm going to probably have to break you halfway through your response just so you know, because we're about a minute and a half out for a hard break. But do you encounter this kind of thing?
2: Um, Yeah, clearly the women come in, they're afraid, they're anxious, they're closed off maybe to themselves and certainly to other people. Um, They might be quiet for the first day or two, and Congress actually wants the worst of the worst leaders in the prison invited because if if they can feel God's love, they're going to make a real difference when they come back out. And at the end, you know, they're sharing, they're open, they're vulnerable, they have sisters within the prison and outside that they can have relationships with. So it's major when they can feel safe and have a place to talk with other people about themselves.
1: Yeah, and when we come back, I want to ask you about the bitterness, because I know that that does exist with many of our um, people who are serving time in prison. But right now, listeners, we have to take a break. We will be right back with Leslie Finnerty talking about her prison ministry.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back, listeners. We're here with Leslie Finnerty talking about a prison ministry that she volunteers for on America's web radio. And Leslie, I wanted to ask you about the bitterness that people who have been sentenced to prison feel and how you interact with that. Could you talk to us a little bit about that?
2: Sure. Um, We don't specifically ask why they're in prison or for how long, but of course they can share it. And... um, I think that most of the ladies we meet really are trying to look for the positives, that they get to take some college courses or they get to be in a learning program like a beautician. Um, but they, they do feel bitter um, sometimes about how they're treated. Um, you know, not every prison guard is uh, a super friendly person. And so they might feel that they're not treated well by them or by other prisoners who are, you know, pushing their weight around. So those are hard situations for them.
1: Well, I can't imagine how difficult that is because there's no way out, is there?
2: Right. And some of them talk about there's really not enough calories to to sustain, sustain themselves well unless they have money, you know, from family or friends who can allow them to buy things in the commissary.
1: Wow. Oh, my gosh, I had never thought of that. Well, um, I guess we need some improvement in our prison (laughs) system. I know that some of the women in prison are people who, as I said, have pled guilty to a crime, and uh, as you said, you haven't really come across this type of prisoner. Has anybody told you that they're innocent? They actually haven't, not the, the people I've talked to. Wow, so I guess they're really practicing honesty in some way. <laughs> but, I, you know, in California, that is that happens. And I feel mm-hmm. so sad for the women that I have met in the past who served their time, which really wasn't their time. That was somebody else's time. And uh, I'll just generalize the story. When they come out of prison, and the person... They served time for, has moved on to doing other things with other people, and that's mm. usually a heartbreak. Yeah, it's one of the. Interesting- a big issue that we work with
2: is is forgiveness. You know, which is so transformational. If how you know Christ and God have forgiven, you know, will forgive them or have forgiven them, how they can forgive themselves and how they can forgive others who have wronged them, be it you know, their roommate in prison or a guard or, you know, people, their families that may have turned their backs on them because the families got so tired of, you know, say, a drug situation. You know, they kept going on and on and on. So forgiveness is so transformational and and just makes a huge difference and I think helps with bitterness too.
1: Well, I'm going to take a sideline here because forgiveness is huge. And so many people don't know how to forgive. It, well, and uh, I said to them, well, you can forgive, but you don't need to forget. Do you have any comments on how people forgive? I had this,
2: I don't know exactly how it happens. It's internal. It's God. It's people feeling they are loved no matter what and that they are a valuable person. But actually, this one woman um, spoke at, a, at the closing, at the end of the weekend, uh, alumni that are residents that have that done the program before come in, and sometimes people from the outside come in. And this woman got up and spoke in front of 300 people saying that her crime was that she was the cause or a partial cause of a loved one's death. And in this weekend, she forgave herself. And she was ready to learn and grow and move on because we can't go anywhere if we don't forgive ourselves.
1: It's it seems like forgiving yourself is a huge stumbling block. And with my patients, it's a bigger one because most of them have an addiction uh, issue also. And they think, I should have known. I, I should have done something different. I should have blah, 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 whatever it is. And it's just such a shaming sentence about what we should have done. And I say to them, But whatever we did, we did the best we knew how at the time with what we knew at the time. And now it's easy to look back, you know, it's 2020 vision to look back and say what we should have done. But at the time, often it feels like what we have to do. So I just wanted to add that. Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, Yeah, I think
2: forgiving ourselves can be the hardest Because we're always looking for what we've done wrong and our faults, (laughs) you know, looking in the mirror, look at our faults and what we look like, as as well as how we've behaved. And I call it shit all over yourself. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) And when we have negative self-talk, like what I just quoted, I call that the itty bitty shitty committee. (laughs) 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 And it is. It's. How we talk crap to ourselves and make ourselves feel awful? And there's no forgiveness or empathy or anything. And the itty-bitty shitty committee really consists (laughs) of what we've heard from the adults around us growing up. It's like a tape that we put in the cassette in our brain and it plays and plays and plays. And we believe it, believe it, believe it, And, and getting... The itty-bitty city committee to have a big rest and go into its own prison is a big job in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So, yes, and, and we should not should all over ourselves. <laughs> so I, I know that you said that your work is not with families or children, of the prisoners you've worked with. So I'd like to know, however, if you see changes in how prisoners you relate with relate with each other.
2: Um, it's a huge change when they can trust each other and, um, you know, they, the alumni are, are welcome to um, meet weekly. It's called prayer and share. And so they develop a bond, meeting week after week after week and praying for each other's challenges and problems and, you know, maybe for their families. Um, so that's a huge difference. We heard about one woman who um, during the weekend, apparently they had email at this particular prison that were allowed to, to do that, they emailed how sorry they were for what they had done and affected a certain family member, and that family member emailed right back and said, I'm so proud of you, and mm. I love you, and all those kinds of things. And so there's reconciliation that's going on within the prison and with family members for sure.
1: I think that's one of the loveliest services. <laughs> um, could be done, and I just want to mention this research project. It's an old one, and it's about prayer, and I think it was conducted as the University of California in San Francisco. I'm not sure that, I'm not part positive that's right, but I think that's where it was conducted. So they had um, people uh, divided into two different groups. One group prayed for cardiac patients that they didn't know, and the other group just know, knew that XYZ person had cardiac surgery. So the ones who were prayed for recovered like 90% faster than the ones who weren't. So that, that was a scientifically-led research project, and I've always held it close to my heart because mm. it just shows the power of prayer no matter what you're doing or who you're with or what's happened to you. So, listeners, pay attention to that and look it up. I'm, actually, I'm going to look it up after we get off the air. Okay. I, I'm also wondering, Leslie, how does one become involved with providing support to people in the prison system?
2: Well, you could uh, Google Kairos Cairo, Prison Ministry. It's K A I R O S Prison Ministry, and see if there's a um, a group near you. They're they're all listed on the on the internet. If there's not one near you, I think they're in 35 states, but um, I'm sure you could talk to your church or, um, you know, call up the local prison and ask for the chaplain and see if there's something you could do.
1: Okay. All right. And this radio program, as you know, is all about relationships, and how does your work in the Stephen ministry improve people's relationships?
2: Well, I think you know, we're there for someone else to listen to them so that they can be there potentially for someone else. Um, I actually used a Stephen minister and, and got care myself, and my dad was terminally ill. And I had kids, and I was, you know, the working parent, and um, it gave me a chance to think and feel and express myself so I could be more loving and, and more calm when I was meeting with the rest of my family. I've also had a, a couple of uh, what we call Carrie Seavers, who's uh, women, uh, it's always the uh, same gender, women to women, that um, their husbands had left them, and they chose to wait it out and see what would happen over time. And that's a hard thing to do to wait. And so week after week, <laughs> we met and we talked and we prayed, and actually it just so happened those two husbands did come back. But the world would say, you know, get rid of the, the guy who cheated on you or whatever happened. And um, these women wanted to wait, and so we waited with them. I waited with, with each one.
1: Wow. Yeah. And sometimes we just have to pray for God's will, and we don't know what's going to happen. Mm. <laughs> um, and you've already said how your prison ministry impacts relationships on the prisoners and how they have them with their family. And yours is such important work, and you went out and you learned the tools that would help other people. And I want to thank you, Leslie, for all your service to those who might have otherwise turned and done something differently. And it's just been such an honor to have you as a guest on our program today. And listeners, whatever your background, there's help out there for you, and much of it's free. Think about the adult children of alcoholics. You can Google that and find where a meeting is in your area. Al-Anon is free, and that's about folks who are married to or in a relationship with or part of a family with someone who has an addiction issue. CODA stands for Codependence Anonymous, C-O-D-A, and that's a group for codependence. I've been to that group. I teach that where, uh, at the HMO where I work about codependency, and that's a marvelous group. If you're having um, problems thinking you're helping somebody but your help isn't wanted and you can continue trying to help, try it. After all, you know, what do you have to lose? Thank you for being with us this morning. Again, thank you, Leslie, for being such a wonderful guest and listeners. Until next week at 7 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time, here in sunny California, remember, only you can make your world the way you want it to be.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.